Hi, I'm Paul Mitchell, the Managing Director of the Human Enterprise. Well, first of all, welcome to our series on transformational leadership. Over the next 12 months, I'll be having informal one-on-one chats with some of the Asia-Pacific's top leaders. We'll be talking with business leaders, community leaders, and people from the arts and sport. You're going to hear some amazing people tell some amazing stories. You'll personally get the opportunity to hear first-hand tips and ideas such as what does leadership mean to these people, how they made the transition from technician to manager to leader, how with everything on their plates do they manage to keep their work-life balance, how importantly do they develop the leaders around them so they really are leaving a, a legacy much more than just the business result. And, and currently, particularly important, what are they doing to steer their organisations through our current economic seas of uncertainty. Today we have got the absolute privilege of hearing from Andrew Reeves. Andrew is the Managing Director of the alcoholic beverage giant, Lion Nathan. It's a name that some of you will know and some of you won't, but I guarantee you'll know the brands and I'll leave Andrew uh, to talk about those. It, it is a company that boasts many iconic brands and I'm sure you'll even find some of them in your fridge or your wine rack. Well, welcome, Andrew. How are you today? Really good, Paul. That's the way. So, Andrew, just tell me a little bit about, or tell our listeners a little bit about what your current role is and how long you've been involved with that role. Yeah. So, currently, I'm the Managing Director for Lion Nathan Australia, which is uh, one of Australia's largest um, beverage, alcoholic beverages company companies, um, and principally involved in involved in beer. And I've been in the role since. Uh, August of 2002, so that's a little over six years. Okay, and, and quite heavily involved, as most of our listeners will know, on a fairly uh, strong acquisition path at the moment. How's that going for you? Yeah, well, it's been it's been up and down. I mean, we've uh, like all business been looking for looking for new growth paths, um, and uh, so we've had some successes, and we acquired the Vogue's business uh, late in 2007, which has been a great acquisition for us. But uh, yeah, a couple of other areas we've, we've branched out in have been quite bold, but unfortunately haven't come yeah. off at this stage. So recent ones. Now, what about some of your brands? Because, uh, you know, uh, although you know them uh, very, very yeah. well, what are some of the brands? Yeah, I doubt whether too many people know who Lion Nathan mm-hmm. is, because you don't actually, it's hard to buy Lion Nathan other than <laughs> just if you're buying shares. But uh, our, our brands revolve around three key trademarks, um, Tui's, Forex and Han, and so they're, they're, our, they're our big trademarks. And we also have um, uh, long-term um, in investments and licensing arrangements with a couple of big global brewers in Heineken and AB InBev and the Bex brand. Right, mm. so a very, very diverse portfolio mm. there. Yeah. Um, so what about you? Give us a bit of a feel for your career to date. You've been in this business for, what, six, six years? years? So I mean, I'm, I guess I've been working professionally now for 30, 30 years, started in oh, the late 70s. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a long time. I'm probably closer to the end of my career than I am to the beginning, beginning of it. You're only just beginning. (laughs) But uh, hopefully I've not stopped learning. Um, But uh, I guess principally it's been in fast-moving consumer goods, um, all in Australia, although I've worked for large international um, organisations, Kimberly Clark um, at at Amatil uh, in the snack food food business, 
and uh, and then the beverage business, and then clearly here with the Lion Nathan. Okay, so thank you. Mm. So quite a quite a diverse portfolio, mm. but pretty much uh, a lot, I guess, focused on fast moving consumer yeah. goods. Yeah. So um, getting to the heart of it, which is what this leadership series is about. What does leadership mean to you? I mean, you've certainly done everywhere you've been. You have helped transform people and transform the business. So um, it's a it's a bold question, but what does leadership mean? Yeah, to you? it's a toughie because it's a because it's a, such a big big topic. And uh, there's so much, so much written and said about it. Look, look the way I deal with answering that question is, is when I talk to people in the business about that, is what, what's leadership all about? I try and, and, and draw a comparison between two often confused concepts, leadership and management, uh-huh. and to, to try and tease, tease this out. To me, management is a very important function, really, really crucial, but it's about optimizing the status quo. It's how do we make the best of what we've currently got and our circumstances and actually drive that as hard and as fast as we can. And the product of management is efficiency. Right, right. When I then talk about leadership, leadership is to me is much more about the challenges and the demands and the complexities of change and transformation. Much more creative process. Dealing with new circumstances, complex new problems, solutions, solutions focused. And I think there, I think about the product of leadership is the discretionary effort of the people in the organisation. Okay. And yeah. so that's that's how. I, and so one's more about you know changing, moving to new circumstances, taking the business to a, to, a, to to a new place. And that's what I think you know really separates the two the two, and hopefully helps people understand the importance of the. Of I like the, the outcomes mm-hmm. there because I guess as a manufacturing and, and strong marketing business, it mm-hmm. is about efficiency. But the word. Um, uh, what what comes up for me that second part is energy. It's mm. really about the mobilisation of energy of your people. That's yeah. that second part. Yeah, because without without that, without their enthusiastic commitment to what you're doing, yeah. and they they won't throw all their energy, all their passion, yeah. all their their best ideas. You know, like you do with anything you're enthusiastic enthusiastic about in life, you give it everything. Well, so looking at that, then pace of the leader, pace of the pack. Um, if you're there to energise and to get that discretionary effort, people doing that little bit extra and thinking about what else can they do, how else can they break through how do you keep your energy up because people obviously they're going to look at you for that and mm. other leaders in the business yeah yeah and I guess you've always got to worry about your own sense of renewal yep. and your own sense of, uh, of pace um, and uh, so I, I enjoy I personally enjoy change I enjoy uh, <laughs> you thrive on it I, I, yeah I do I, I enjoy changing environments and I, I am energized by oh. that and I enjoy the challenge that com- comes with that um, I, I do try and stay uh, on top of my own development, my own learning, and right. and I guess at this stage in my career, that's a lot more self-directed than it is you yeah. know, from from either company support and what have you. But yeah. that's good, and I try and, and I've learnt to actually um, you know engage in things outside of work yeah. these days, which actually I find a, a good break, a good respite, but also gives me a lot more energy when I come back into the into the work. That's a great thing. We were talking, mm-hmm. uh, one of our sayings in the human enterprise is leaders are learners and it's not necessarily uh, learning about the business. It's it's just learning for learning's sake. Can you tell us what your current passion is? Because it's uh, fantastic that you're doing something yeah. so removed. Well, it, it is, in fact, and, and I have to thank my wife for this because um, I, I, I think there was a period in my career, a long period of my career, most of those 30 years, where I ran the risk of being defined only by my job. And I think that's right. a, that's not a great place, like, like place to be, frankly. And she came home one night um, some years ago and, and said to, to me, um, there's this great course at the Art Gallery of New South Wales on Renaissance art. And I looked at it blankly and said, why would I be remotely interested in such an arcane uh, subject as that? Anyway, 
she eventually, through through um, conspiring with my with my PA at the time, you know, blocked this time out once <laughs> once once a week in my diary to go to the Art Gallery of New South Wales to these lectures. It was a revelation. It's one of the most thrilling and exciting learning experiences I've, I've ever had. And I've always had a real interest in history. But when you when you marry history with with art, and art doesn't take place in a vacuum. It takes place in a political, social, economic context. Yes. Con- context. Yeah. It was just fascinating. And and. You know, that was about four or five years ago, and I have spent in that time just exploring this field more and more, um, reading, um, visiting galleries, trying to soak up information about it. And it, it's just a, I found it an incredibly fascinating subject. The parallels for business, by the way, are quite, Isn't that are quite ex- extraordinary. Can you give us an example? At least there's maybe one example. I'll, I'll try and do this quickly, but I think one of the great examples is the rise of the Impressionist artists. You know, uh, art up until the late 18th century when they emerged had been the same for thousands of years. You can actually see the same themes, the same drivers, the same mores and rules right. had been had been in place since the ancient Greeks and Romans and been reinvented by the by the Renaissance artists and had become the norm. And they broke they absolutely broke the mold. They did everything completely in a revolutionary wow. fashion. And it's interesting that that I look at that in terms of, hey, we look at our markets, they can be very stable, our environment's very stable, but they can be turned on their heads you know, by by innovation, by discontinuities, by change in circumstances, and what you feel is stable and what is really secure can just end overnight. And in fact, in a period of, it may sound like a long time now, but over 10 or 15 years, they have had an impact on, on the development of art, you know, since that time that has radically changed it. For the thousands of years that went before, so I, you know that 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 was just one. So that example. mindset of hey, we live in a world of uncertainty. Uh, what can we do yeah. to totally question the status quo? Yeah, and and there's an artist who I doubt whether anyone's ever heard of called Edouard Massonnier, who was the most famous artist of his day in the in the mid 1800s, and at that time held the record for the highest price a living artist had ever ever been paid for a painting. I say he's a footnote on the on the in the yeah. in the text yeah. of art history. Today, and at the same time, names everyone would know: Manet, Monet, yep. Degas, um, all these sorts of people didn't sell, didn't, couldn't sell a painting for a cracker in those days. Yet today, they sell them for. Well, uh, Manet, Monet had a painting recently sold in New York for forty-three million U.S. dollars. You're giving hope to a lot of yeah. rising artists. Yeah, so right? now, it, you know, it's just, it's just to yeah. me that that uncertainty how your world can change. Yeah. You know, the, 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 so what was it that made him so successful, and how is there some linkages back to business? This is Masoni. What made him, what made him very successful was he he played the rules of the of the market at that time, and right. he was exceptionally good at playing those rules. Right. Where he where. I guess the new artists were ultimately successful is that they they invented a whole new and dynamic and very different gotcha. a, a, a approach which yeah. ultimately became very popular. Interestingly enough they sold it to a new market, they sold it to the Americans. They didn't try and ultimately they didn't try and sell it to the market that had been established which is the European market. Yeah. They breakthrough came in the US and if you think about it at the time, history history wise the US was emerging then massively entrepreneurial, massively innovative massively adventurous so and, I get a few yeah. things from it. Look for new markets, break the current paradigms of the day, uh, be a leader, which is a dealer in hope. Mm-hmm. Know that maybe you may not be doing it today, but the legacy you leave for you, because possibly those paintings of Monet and stuff, <laughs> we know a lot more than Masada, yeah. I can't even remember. Yeah. And there's probably artists out there today trying to look for a new mould on, on that. <laughs> We've given some hope yeah. there. So this gives us a bit of a feel to 
Um, you talked about what leadership means to you. It's a, it's a tough one in some ways, but and maybe others are better at describing it than you. But what's your brand? What's your style? What do you stand for and want to stand for? If mm. people said, "Hey, what sort of a leader is Andrew Rees?" What would you say? Mm. That's yeah, interesting question. I think there's there's three things I'd want my brand to to communicate to people, and I should be able to articulate better than this. But those three things would be would be would be about strategy, would be about capability, and about people, and they'd be, they'd be the, the 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 crucial things that I I'd want um, to really to really stand for. So really clear strategic choices, really clear strategic direction, um, being able to to mobilise. And to bring to bear the, all of the all the elements of capability that are crucial to execute that strategy, and most of all, most of all, having the people who are who are, who are committed to that and are able to drive it. And can you give us a, just a quick example, maybe of each one? You know, an example of a, a strategy decision you've made, a capability decision you've made, a major people decision that yeah. you've made. So, I mean, this is this this business is a great is a great example, and we and, and to me, great strategy is about really clear and explicit choices. You can't do everything. You have to decide where you got where you're going to be really really good, and where you're going to be focused to be to be good and differentiated. And this business, um, because of its history, I mean, beer grew up very parochial, very provincial, very regional. And when I arrived in this business, we were trying to support in excess of 20 different brands. Wow. Um, and, and largely speaking, because every state, every market had its own brand. And it, was, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Yet the organisation was highly committed to it and thought that it was a really differentiated strategy. It was differentiated, but it wasn't working. And in terms of the first thing you talked about, focus and efficiency. Yeah, focus and efficiency. We, yeah. we, we were taking, we were just spreading our energy and our effort across too much and achieving too little. And frankly, we were up against competitors who were more focused and sharper and had a better, better sense of what they were doing. So it looked the strategic decision came: what's the quality of our franchise? And our franchise was very poor. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot of loyalists. We didn't have brands that were growing. We didn't, we weren't, we weren't shaping markets. So it, the big decision was, what in that portfolio, what are the gems, what are the diamonds that we have to really focus on and polish and to build, our, build our future on those diamonds. And that's what, we, that's what we did. I love the fact you don't just have customers or satisfied customers, you have loyalists. <laughs> loyalists. Oh, well, and, and, and yes, and, and that's emotionally yeah. great, but it's also economically great. Yes. You, know, you know, in any business, your loyalists will spend more with you, more of the time, more often. Yeah, and that's what you want. Mm. So yeah. that's a great example of strategy. One on, one on capability, how did you uh, yeah, make so, decisions? So again, again, to execute that strategy, we had to make a lot of choices about where our where our resource, resources were, and we we set we, we, we said this to drive that strategy. There's three things we're going to have to be really good at, and we're going to have to resource. We're going to have to resource those those brands. And at the time, we weren't actually, even though we had a lot of brands, we weren't spending enough money on them. So we set a target for how much we wanted to spend, and we then had to go and find that. We had to reinvest in our infrastructure because our physical infrastructure wasn't giving us the quality or the responsiveness to drive those brands. So that was brewing infrastructure. We had, we had to find the money and the capability yeah. to do that. And we didn't have enough of the right people to execute the strategy that we'd, yeah. we'd, we'd embarked on. What's very clear here, and a great lesson for, for every leader, is that capability decisions come from strategy. So many times I see yeah. businesses increasing their capability here or whatever, and sometimes not linked to strategy. So you had a very clear line of sight. And it goes back to my point about what's our, what are our clear choices. And yeah. if you make those choices, yeah. you know, what, what am I going to major in? What am I going to differentiate in? Then I find that the other decisions actually become 
not easier, but certainly clearer in your mind what and what is you've got to do. Yeah. So that would probably uh, tell me that your people people uh, decisions would probably line up with the capability and the strategy too. Can you give an example of one of those that was actually in alignment with the? Well, I can, yeah, I mean, we we had and you know a, a lot of people who I guess who were wedded to the past, and one of the things that I guess felt that we had to get people who who saw a, you know, who were more interested in building a new future than defending the past. So there were there were key roles, and particularly this business being a regional role, there was a lot of uh, historically had been quite powerful regional jobs. Yes. And frankly, you almost had regional managing directors yeah, from all, it yeah. was. They were head, like head of forex. They were regional managing directors, yeah. and in mm. fact, in, and in time, and, and, and historically, they had been full managers of PNL and had the full functional suite of activities. But they that had been gradually pared away. But they were still acting like they were managing directors, and they were frankly were getting in the way. Of the effective execution of a of a, of a large scale, um, um, well integrated, um, universal strategy, yep. and so we had to change those roles and we had to change those people. Mm. So a very clear strategy in terms of choices, and then backing it up with the capability, and then making the people the tough people calls that are going to yep. make that alignment. Yeah, and and investing then investing in that capability because we hadn't invested in, in people capability, and so we had to find we had to find the money. And the time to make those investments. Yes, not only have a look at who possibly wasn't right, but who you needed to get in. Yeah. So, Andrew, you're, you're, you've talked about strategy and capability and people, very, very uh, big strategic roles. I would assume that you weren't always doing that in your career. <laughs> and at some point you were a, possibly a technician, an assistant brand manager or whatever. Yep. Can you give us a bit of a feel about how you made that transition from being a technician to being a leader? Any yeah. any tips along oh, the way? Look, actually, it's interesting you pick on that, Paul, because I often find myself in conversations with people in the organisation referring to this as one of those really critical transition points yep. in your in, in your career. Uh, I, I, I came into um, into my professional career through through marketing. I started off, you know, the bottom of the absolute bottom of the of the hierarchy, assistant brand manager, you know, working my way through, you know, basically crunching numbers for other people was what yeah. I did. So, you know, and and that went well, and eventually got got an opportunity to lead lead a team. And no one had actually defined that that for me at the time. I, you know, there was at the time it was almost like, well, you'll just get on and do it, won't you? Yeah. You're yeah. a good technician. You'll yeah, make yeah, it yeah, yes, right. There was an assumption that you're good at that job, so you'll be able to lead people. And there was no there was no formality or structure. You just got thrown in off the off, off the deep end. And 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 I'll come on to talk about I think how businesses handle that today, which is very different. But okay. you know, this is going back for me 25 odd odd, odd years. Um, so you were chucked in the deep end. You suddenly had a team of people. And, and I made all the classic mistakes, you know, overmanaged, micromanaged, didn't know how to delegate, didn't know how to set up clear expectations or manage, you know, manage by, by performance and focus on outcomes rather than on, on, on process. Um, you know, because you love to get involved. In yeah, loved, loved, I love getting involved, and I was doing other people's work, and, right. and, and I, I'm sure that frustrated them and yeah. what have you. You know, um, not necessarily being a good coach, not really knowing how to give good feedback. You know, not necessarily being able to do great performance reviews, and all those things, which you know, I know as an individual, you want to be done well because yeah. you want you want to learn. And to be honest, I think I learnt by trial and error. And you know, and fortunately, I've you know enough tolerant people around me to let me make mistakes and get on with it. And it's funny, and I also learned by, by watching and observing other people. Funnily enough, at the, that particular time, I won't talk about who, but I had a, a boss 
who I think of very affectionately because he gave me some great opportunities and probably gave me opportunities before I was I was ready for them and backed me through that. But he was a terrible leader in many respects. <laughs> and in fact, he was a really he was a good role model in the sense that I didn't like a lot of the things he did. And, and so I said, I don't want people to feel like I feel when he does that. Isn't that a great... Yeah, yeah really I'm putting yeah. yourself in their shoes. Yeah, I was thinking, I know how I feel when he behaves in those certain ways and I don't want my team to have to go through that experience. So I'm going to... I'm going to try and behave, behave differently. So, you know, and, I, and I've I sort of, I, I watch demonstrated behaviour a lot in, in people and I, I learn a lot from that. It's interesting today, in this organisation particularly, we spend a lot of time on this, this technician to transition management and we, we really actively coach and train people through it. And we talk about the derailers, the obvious, yes, the yeah, obvious yeah. things that, that, that um, show that where people fall over in moving from a technician to a, to, to a leader, micromanagement, you know, lack of delegation, poor teams. All your sins. All my sins. And I stand up, talk to people in the organisation. about that. Geez, I, I feel a bit of a hypocrite here. Cause I, but, but what we found from research, and the research was really interesting, is that if you can point these out to people, they can avoid them and they'll make that transition so much better. And these things can be learned. Mm. Yes, you've got they to have learn some... behaviours. Yeah, they can be... You've got to have some, you know, the obvious learning agility and the obvious intellect and, and experience, what have you. But you can get a much better result from coaching people. And that's something I think is a relatively recent mm. um, de- development. And, and so we're, you know, we're spending a lot of time on that. And I think it's making a really big difference. This is uh, such an important point. I know we're, we're only a, a halfway through your transition here in that one of the things we talk about in leadership is a leader. is uh, Your job is to develop the leaders around you. And incredible that Lion Nathan has a program for not just, well, you know, now you're in this role, but how do you make that transition? That's excellent. Yeah, and, and we start, and the people we bring in there, I think we've started this uh, three years ago, and uh, you know, all of the people who go there are still technicians. Right. So we're, 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 we're or, or very early leaders, maybe of a small team. Mm. So we're getting, we're hopefully getting to the very early in that part of their learning curve, mm. and trying to give them just give them a heads up on, on falls to stay away from, and give them tools and techniques to develop really good leadership skills. So tell us a bit more then about you've gone from that. That's almost up to say marketing manager. What about the transition up to director, where you're looking after a whole portfolio through to general manager, a yeah. whole division, yeah. through to a whole business? Yeah. So you know, so you know, it's it's. At each level, we have what we call different leadership capability programs, and they get, I guess, more and more complex, and they start to deal with more and more difficult solutions. And a lot of it is really built on a a very straightforward philosophy, which is called behaviour times results. Sorry, results results on behaviour. Yes, it is the model. Because a lot of a lot of people will get a long way in their careers just on results, Mm. but those results won't necessarily be sustainable Mm. if they don't have really good behaviours to go with them. You know, we can all get a get a result in a six month, 12 month, 18 month period. Mm. But will that result you know, be, be sustainable over the long term? So we've, we've spent a lot of time focusing on, on yeah, results are really important, but you've got to get the right behaviours. And we have 10 behaviours that add value that we focus on in the business. So we spend a lot of time as people start to emerge on self-awareness, then understanding their own leadership style, how they're seen by others, right. all of those types of things. Then really developing plans with them to say where they've got where there are things they can do better, develop, grow, and enhance their leadership style. Really, yeah, actively working working on those on those issues with them, while reinforcing the things that they're great at. And was there a pivotal point for you when you knew, um, as Dorothy said, I just I guess I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> where you really thought um, I'm, a, I'm a much bigger pond here. Can you ever remember any key learnings or things that you now do as a as a leader of a much bigger pond? Oh, I think you know I. I I think 
as you move, the, you, you, you underestimate the impact you have on the organisation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the shadow that you're casting. Yeah, yeah, and, and you do, you, you know, your behaviour sets up um, the model for the organisation. But if the more senior you get, people look to you, and whether you know it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're sending messages. You're, you're sending messages all the time, mm-hmm. and people watch what you do; they don't watch what you say. Yeah, and and, and, and you know, the old thing: that actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. What you focus on, what you spend time talking about, what you measure, what you reward, sends out a, sends out a big, big message. So you can you know, talk about all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, you only have, to have a really serious conversation about the bottom line, mm. you know, or about this month's result or what have you, then people think, well, you know, that's what... Can I talk about, can I, I want to drill down, you talked about you know, giving feedback and so forth. That seems to me to be, as I see technicians make that move to manager, to general manager, one of the things they really have to get better at, I, I believe, is giving feedback to people. Yeah. You can get some horrific feedback and think, bugger you. You can get some great feedback, even though it may be negative, and, and, and think, I'm going to change my behaviour. You know, what works and what doesn't work? Well, just, you know, without feedback, you can't learn. Mm. You just go straight back to school, you know, when you did, did your tests and yeah. all those sorts of yeah. things. Without knowing where your proficiency was at, you couldn't adjust and, 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 and relearn things. So, yeah, the feedback is, is, is just, it's the life of this, this whole thing. Um, so, you know, then how do you give feedback constructively is really, really crucial. Um, I'm trying to think of good examples here, but, you know, you know, really try to get specific with it, using, using examples for people. Right. Trying to take real-life examples from the, from the workplace and sort of step through it, you know, if you can, I find, you know, if I'm really, particularly if you're dealing with a difficult issue, you know, good people are easy to give feedback to. They, yeah. they soak it up and they Thank you, up. off they go. Yeah, and largely speaking, you're talking about good examples. Where you've got a difficult problem, um, I, I find that, um, you know, you, if you can try and observe real life examples and then bring those back to the discussion and say, okay, look, I saw this happen, I saw you behave this way, let's analyse that, let's talk, let's try and have a really, really serious conversation about that. Let's, let's move on to um, uh, some big influences then. You've talked about the, that boss that wasn't a good leader and you swore you'd never be like him. <laughs> what have been some other big leadership influences or lessons in your life that have um, enabled you to get to where you are today? Well, I, I have been fortunate that I've worked in organisations or work, and worked directly for people who I think are really good leaders. So I go back to my point, you know, watching what they do, trying to model that, model that behaviour. So, you know, and I've had some, you know, I've been around and seen some, some, some really good people. So that's been, that's been great. I think I also um, tried to look at leadership in other fields of, of, of life. Um, the, I guess one of the great modern leadership examples that stands out for me is Nelson Mandela. Yeah. And what an amazingly courageous man, what a compassionate man mm. to forgive what yeah. he went through. So yeah. I, and I just thought the, the capacity <clears throat> to forgive and to get over it and to move on and build a new bridge to where you're going is an amazing skill. Enormous. And, and I think, and that to me, the day that he turned up, and I'm a real rugby fan, the day that he turned up at the, uh, the 95 World Cup and they won. rugby yes. final, and they won in the, in the, in the jersey yes. of his oppressors. Yeah. You know, of the, yeah. uni- the yeah. uniform and the garb of the what people. Signal. Yeah, there he was in the jersey. Yeah. I was just thinking, I mean, I, you know, I, I imagine he thought about it and it was a, such a simple gesture, but think about the different audiences he was communicating with with that one simple, that one mm. simple message his own people 
about a message of we can embrace these people, we can work with these people, we can live with these people. Sending out an olive branch to the people whose minds he was seeking to persuade. You know, the Afrikaans, the world, sending a message to the world saying, you know, I'm here to build bridges and to, and to build a new country. Mm. You know, there just it was a leadership way it, beyond it a, that event, it was wasn't it? A massive leadership statement, and it was a, such a simple gesture, yeah. but so powerful. And the reverberations on how it wonderful to think about that. Such the, how the simple things can make a big difference. We mm. often talk about culture being three things: behaviour, symbols, and processes. And that, if ever there was a symbol of hope and leadership yeah. in the world, that yeah. was it. Other influences. That, so, it's, so you get them not just from the corporate world. You're saying, have there been other mentors or um, business people or outside of business? That have actually given key lessons to make who you are today. Um, look, I, I don't. I don't think there's any single individual that I've, I've had. There's been some really great positive influences in my life. Um, family influences, um, French fr- friendships. Um, you know, just just often. In fact, I've, you know, some good friends who aren't in the same business but are in other businesses have got leadership roles. Are great people to sit down and talk to bounce and stuff off, bounce yeah. stuff off, and to have a very you know, um, an unconstrained conversation. They understand what you what you're going through, understand what your pressures are, but but you're not involved in a way that they can't give you objective uh, comment about it. But they care you, and they know they care for you. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the, their their friendship, their 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 affection for you is uh, is is very good. So, you know, it, it's um. So there's not there's there's been I've been lucky to have had access to a variety of different people with a variety of different skills who've cared enough about me to give me feedback yeah. and to listen to to listen to me mm. at different times. So a couple of keys there: get the feedback, be open to the feedback, and don't just think it has to come through one channel. You know, <laughs> I guarantee your daughters So talk about close relationships. Let's have a look at that. You 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 have a very strong family unit, and and relationships are important to you. How do you keep good relationships with your people, yet at the same time push for results. That balance yeah. between yeah. those two. Look, it's interesting. I, I, I think I, I get along really well with the people I work with. We, we enjoy each other's company. We certainly don't talk about work all the time. But we don't, we don't socialise a lot either. I, mean, I, I, I guess I don't actively go looking for friends at, friends at work. I know some people actually do. And I wouldn't eschew a friendship if it, if, if it turned up. And I think I've got good relationships. But, you know, just... I tend to have had my, my longest and um, uh, I guess deeper and closer relationship come away from that. It just, just seems to be one of, the, one of those things. Um, look, I, I think it starts in one, in, really the crucial thing for me is about respect. And, and it's about, and respect is built on a real trust and a real confidence in people. And, you know, that whole trust about not just their integrity and, and you know, they tell you the truth and they, you know, they are open and transparent, but about trust in their capability as well. Right. So I think that comes back to, you know, the importance of selection in a team. I mean, I think yeah. that's really, really crucial. Um, selecting people who are going to be great at the job you want them to do, are going to bring something new and different to the team, are going to complement the other members of the team and are going to when they combine with those other members of the team hopefully you're going to get a unit you're going to get a, a much better unit a, a much, much better, better, better unit so I, I do think a lot about the makeup of the team and the people who are in, in the team um, I'm very clear about expectations I think one of the things I learned really early on and I think if you really can be upfront with people really let them know what it is you're trying to achieve in all sorts of areas and, and hopefully engage them in the process and buy them into the process and, and have, you know, have them make, understand their role and contribution in it. That's really great. And I, 
I'm a bit I'm a bit of an aim for the stars, clear the hedges sort of bloke. I quite like you know objectives that are demanding and and difficult because I think it creates um, new and interesting thinking and and pushes people for um, problem solving. I, I have to say that more often than not, the people in my teams are much smarter than me. So you know, I think my job is how do I how do I unleash that. They harness that, yeah, and harness that creativity and that intellect and that that that, that skill, and let them let them go at problems. So I think you know, stretching them and challenging them, and you know, really having them feel like when they achieve something, it's really worthwhile, is is, is super important. So the relationships are there, and it's an interesting one for a lot of people that make that mistake when they're moving from peers and often become a peers manager, for example, mm. that you to go for respect to go for trust, to go for uh, integrity and result, but not necessarily friendship. I think the danger is when we try to be liked, it can, uh, it can uh, you know, manifest a lot of problems. No, and, you know, and, and I have had a circumstances in my career when I you know, moved from being a peer to a, to a leader at a quite a senior level, and then, then having to basically, you know, not fire, fire that person who was a peer, but take their job away. Yeah. And that was a, you know... A, Good lessons. They're, they're, that's hard. That is, that is really hard. But you have... To, the point was, the really crucial, the really crucial um, thing was that job had to go. And it wasn't a personal thing, and it wasn't that easy, but that was the right business decision. So you've got to leave yourself... You know, the, in a space where you can do that, it makes things. it a lot harder yeah. if there, if that uh, if there's a, a stronger friendship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've already touched on a, bit, a little bit about developing leaders at every level. Is there anything else about um, uh, how you get both up and top down communication? One of the things we talk about mm-hmm. in human enterprise is yeah. the job of leaders to develop leaders at every level. Now, and some businesses make the mistake of thinking, well, as long as we've got a great senior team, we'll be right. For some reason, or well, not for some reason, for a lot of reasons, Lion Nathan has, has a massive emphasis on leadership at every level. Tell us a bit more about that. Uh, look, so I, we do, and I, and I think you do want leaders at every level, but I think you need to differentiate what leaders at every level do. Yep. The people at the top of an organisation, they're there for a reason. They're there to make the big strategic calls, determine where that business is going to go, how it's going to differentiate itself, how it's going to focus on things that are going to succeed. That, that's, that, is, a, that is the the role and the purpose of senior people. And frankly, the organisation looks up to them and expects them to do that. Where I think you engage the leaders is, okay, what's their role in the execution yes. of that strategy? Yeah. Sure, I'm interested in their points of view, I'm interested in their contribution, what have you, but at the end of the day, that buck does stop in my office. Yeah. You know, If the business doesn't have a clear, concise, well-articulated, well-resourced strategy, that's my, that's my responsibility. I can't delegate no. that to the organisation. What I can delegate to the organisation and create is an environment where everybody understands those choices and understands the role that they're playing and do doing their best to make decisions, allocate resources, set priorities, build capability to drive towards their... And their leads in the ex- execution yeah, of that. and leads in the execution yeah. of what they're doing to contribute to that overall strategy. I think it was you that first introduced me to the term, term um, EQ, not meaning emotional intelligence, but execution intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I think, you know, there's... I actually think the process of developing strategy is, is, is complex and, and demanding, 
but it ain't anywhere near as hard as the execution of one piece. That's really tough. That's where it happens. And alignment and integration of your organisation behind a, a you know a, a strategy is really crucial. So um, you talked about you, I guess, setting strategy, setting direction, and that means that you have to get inputs from every level. How do you stay on top of your game? You've talked about role models and you've talked about things outside of work, but in terms of leadership, how do you are you in any associations? Do you who do you hang around with? How do you get your input? Mm. <laughs> um, I, I, first, I try and I try and get lots of feedback from the organisation, both from a results point of view, just just the you know uh, a real discipline around monitoring results, which is feedback about is is what we're doing working and where we've got to change. Getting feedback from the people I work with, and, I, and we do have quite formal processes for that. But I, I actively go and and engage with with people around around that as well. Um, I am involved in a number of, um, in fact, I'm on the boards of, I think, three different industry associations, and um, I get a lot from that because of the types of issues that I'm dealing with, the types of people that I'm mixing with in those circumstances, so I learn a lot from that, particularly about the external environment and different, just different perspectives, different opinions. Being in alcohol, there's a lot of stuff goes on around community, community and legislation and government. A lot of concerns about alcohol misuse and abuse and these sorts of issues. So they're, they're really interesting issues to engage in. They're really crucial to the business, but they're also quite demanding and complex. So they give you a really good get outside the business and look back in type of perspective. And the sort of people you mix and deal with in those those um, those circumstances are really valuable from their perspective as well. So three things I'm picking up are being constantly open to feedback personally and also having systems in place to get it, um, having an external in-looking process rather than just in-out where you've got industry contacts and all the rest of it. And the third thing that you talked about earlier is just um, looking for development and new pathways, neural pathways, new ways of thinking outside of your game. Yeah. So um, you're in this, you're in the top role. Uh, any top role can be very demanding at times, both in terms of energy and in terms of people wanting wanting your time. How do you maintain a decent work-life balance? I, I know how important family is to you, and I know sometimes you can be dragged away from family. Mm. I know you're going to Hong Kong this afternoon, <laughs> for example. So how do you do that? How do you consciously do that? Look, I, I would say that I reckon I do it better these days than I did. They did do it, and I think the thing that I learnt was that you actually have to actively plan for it. And that, sound, and, and that sounds overly disciplined and frankly doesn't suit me necessarily. But if you don't make the time for those things outside of your work, you will just become defined by your work. And one day that goes away and there'll be nothing left. Are you getting any tens, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, you know, and I started to and, and, and say it was a bit of a bit of an epiphany moment some years ago. I thought, I, you know, I don't want to just be defined by my work. I want to be defined by some other things. And I started thinking about, well, what are the great holidays I'd like to take? What are the interests I'd like to develop other than just work for the mind and for the, for the body? And I, and I actively went out and sought those things. So, you know, I really started worrying about in my physical fitness, worried about, you know, Taking up scuba diving and getting yeah. back into riding a surfboard, planning 
holidays and I've done some you know some great holidays over the last number of years with Jan you know and where we pursue some of these interests in art and those sorts of things it's been, been so what's great. the message that people say I just don't have enough time I mean you've deliberately set out to plan well, it I got a very busy job I travel a lot I mean I, you know today I'm sure that everyone listening to this has got blackberries and computers and what have you we're, we're barraged by information and what have you but if you can make time for a meeting with you know someone in the business or someone outside the business you can make time to go to the gym you can make time mm. to go to that course mid- mm. midweek. Yeah. You can find the time to take your leave. Mm. You can set aside the weekend. You, you just have to treat it like all the other things you do in your professional life. You block out the time. You say, that time's for me. And you, and you, you treat it seriously. This it's is such a, a great yeah. lesson for our listeners. Yeah. It is. And, and look, it's taken me a lot of years to do it because I used to do that. Over the time I did that, but I would treat that time as discretionary. It was a bit of a contingency plan. So, okay, that time I said it's like me can now be sort of filled up by work stuff. Right. Now I say, no. It's sacred. It's sacred. I go through my diary. My PA knows about it. There are blocks in there what I'm using for time for me. And it's, it is sacred. I get my job done. And, and no, no question about that. I'm no less committed, no less enthusiastic, uh, no less responsible about what I do. I would probably say more enthusiastic, more responsible, and more energy as a result of Yeah, that. I, I think, again, physically I'm in better shape than I've probably been for a long time. Mentally, I'm stimulated. And the 360s on the board lately? Yeah. <laughs> I've had it, well, yeah, we, we have actually, yeah. And, and okay. in fact, I've got some, got some really great feedback. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, I meant the surfboard, by the way. Oh, I was thinking <laughs> about the internal board, yeah. So, talking about getting some great feedback, uh, you've, you've talked about a lot of what you do as a leader, and you've also talked about how you seek feedback. Hopefully, um, people have been able to point out some of the vulnerabilities. So, it's a fairly personal question, uh, and um, I'm just wondering, though, what are some of your vulnerabilities as a leader? We find the great leaders know those, and then they compensate in some way yeah, for them. Yeah, uh, there's no question about that. Something you helped me learn. You know, I'm, I, I'm not particularly good at politics. Um, I, I don't understand why people don't sometimes just see see why things aren't the way that tell it, it is. Or tell it like it is, and so that gets me into, into trouble. Not so much trouble. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I don't think I'm rude or abrasive, but I just do struggle sometimes to understand why people aren't seeing seeing the world like like I'm seeing it. So I've, I've had to learn to 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 you know stand in other people's shoes with the advice I've given to other people at different times. And I you know I'm very passionate about my own agenda, and I think sometimes I've, I've pushed that agenda without necessarily understanding its impact on other people or other people need to get things done. So what and do you do now that's different as a result of that awareness? How do you how have you compensated for that? I I think whereas I once would have just walk, walked into a situation or circumstance and said, here's my agenda, this is what we're going to do, let's get on with it, that's what you pay me for, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. You know, I'll, I'll tend to have that in my mind, I'll certainly be clear about what it is I think I want to do, but I'll now allow time to take on board other issues before I launch into okay this is what we're going to do right. I'm just I think it's a matter of trying it's an awareness of what's going on around you more sensitivity to other people's issues um, and, and frankly it's been better because I've got a better outcome because 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 those people then say okay well by working this together we're going to it's going to achieve both of our ends and I frankly I've, I've opened my mind up and I've got I've got new ideas and new thoughts and new new perspectives that have caused me to think, oh, there's a better way to do this. So this is a very fascinating point. If you, the reason why you would come in as you used to say, this is what I have to do, this is my outcome, because you wanted a result and you wanted it quick. Yeah. It seems to me that by stepping back, getting more input, getting more involvement, seeing a bigger picture, you probably got a better outcome uh, without, and much more quickly. Without, I got a better outcome and probably had better 
better alliances, better relationships with people as yeah. a result of it. Yeah, and uh, and not just for that particular issue, but the next one as well. So let's go. We, we talked about seeing things a little bit broader. Let's go a little bit broad now. We, we're in a uh, a new reality, a new economic reality in uh, 2009 here, early 2009. Um, what do you see as not so much the business issues, but what do you see as some of the leadership challenges for business, particularly in the Asia Pacific region, and possibly if you if you wish to comment globally as well? What I'm looking at here are there some lessons for leaders in our current economic times? Yeah, I think there's a. There's a, there's a great lesson. It will end. <laughs> and, 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 now and there's it, hope. It, well, it will. And and the advantage of uh, the advantage of working over thirty odd years is that you've been through cycles, and 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 you at least got the confidence to know that they are difficult and, and there are difficult times and they're very challenging. But they do come to an end. And there's a lot of people in this organisation, many organisations, who've maybe started their work life fifteen years ago who've never seen a difficult no. time. No. And it's important for them to understand that, yeah, it's difficult, but it will, it, it will end. And for me, I think the crucial issue is, where will we be when it ends? Where will we be positioned when this cycle um, com, com, comes, comes to an end? And I think that, um, you know, the, the, fortunately, we're, we're in a business that has made good, good and, and smart investments in its, in its sustainability, and we're in a pretty good place right now, even though the external world is difficult, and hopefully we'll, that'll, that'll stay that way. So it's really crucial, I think, to make sure that we just don't forget all the good investments we've made in brands and in infrastructure and in people, that we, keep, we try and keep those going so that when this cycle does end, we're in good shape. Mm. I'm reminded of the Second World War, where one of our clients is Unilever, where Lord Lever continued to advertise right through the war mm. with a similar feeling, saying that one day this will end, yeah. and if nothing else, they'll know who we are and what our products yeah. are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the business went enormously yeah. after those years. And as difficult as the external environment is, people are still buying our brands. Mm. People are still engaged with them. Yeah. And that going back to something we talked about before, I want to maintain that loyalty. Mm. And you're not loyal if you just bugger off when the first sign of trouble. Yeah. This is a brilliant message to leaders out there. This will end. The question is, where will you be when it ends? Yeah. Will your capability be stronger? Yeah. Will your people be stronger? The very things you yeah. talked about. So how you know, we'll, we'll have to make changes. We'll have to adjust, I'm sure, through this through this cycle, and that's natural and probably healthy. But how do we not lose the essence of what makes us strong yeah. in that process? Yeah. And what are some of the, drilling it down a little bit, what are some of the qualities of leaders that you think will be required even more so mm -hmm. in these current times? Yeah, well, I mean... Again, absolutely clear, clear strategy. No, yeah, these difficult times is where you really need a clear strategy in, in, and, and, and clear choices and clear direction. Because in the good times, you can make mistakes and there's a lot of buffers around you and you can probably get away with it. The, the marketplace, the environment is far less forgiving at the moment. And for public listed companies, look, any piece of, you look, any small bit of bad news gets massively amplified. Mm -hmm. Look at the swings and the gyrations in, in share prices. So external world, Marketplaces are very intolerant at the moment. So being really clear about what you're doing and, and sticking to that is really, is really crucial to navigate through, through the difficult, difficult times. Um, I think that uh, uh, people capability is absolutely crucial through this whole period. You know, don't, um, you don't back off that. Because again, in energy, are you cutting down on any training? No, no, we're not at all. In fact, uh, we're, we're 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 making really active choices about keeping it going. Because again, we, you know, we can see that our success as a business has been largely built 
on the strength and, and quality of the of planning and development uh, okay. consultant. This is excellent news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. uh, but I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's, they're, they're, it's too easy to see those things as yeah. discretionary when they, they are really a part of what your, your success is built on. Yeah. And so we've, we have got a good culture in this organisation and and we don't just want to be a culture that's a product of a good time. We want to be a culture that sustains us through, through difficult times. In fact, come out. I love the point of the, where we'll be when this yeah. ends. So... Um, much a, a huge career um, with uh, many many lessons along starting to bring it together now if you had one piece of advice or pearl of wisdom to give someone looking back at um, at your career what would it be as a leader what would be that pearl you know that absolute <laughs> pearl I know it's so much there but yeah, yeah. I wish I, I, I'm it's not like your strategic choices it, now yeah well well it, it, it is a pattern. actually my pearl would probably be related to strategic choice you know, I think one of the big lessons I, I have learned is being really clear about what it is makes your, your business different, special, better, and really focusing on those on those strengths and, and just pouring all your energy and all your resources and uh, all your efforts into making those things stronger, better, more valuable to your consumers, to your customers, to your, to, to your people. And not and you know yes you've got to adjust and you've got to adapt and you'll be flexible but every business will have those those things in it and I think to know what they are to identify them and to focus on them is re is really crucial. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that you know visions and strategies are great but you absolutely have to have a have a, a, a really clear execution and capability plan to make them come to life. Otherwise, they're just apparitions and dreams yeah. that will initially motivate people but will soon become the thing that demoralises and, and, and destroys them because okay. they'll, they'll be enthused about going to where you're sort of painting a picture to go to but you won't have a road to get them there. I've heard it best expressed. The visions of greatness without a plan are the beginning of delusion. Yeah, <laughs> delusion. Yeah, so and there's many leaders yeah. that sometimes... And I think, you know, visions... I'm not a big fan of visions, frankly, and I think, I think visions are at best... A headline for this, the main story, which is the strategy, yeah. you know, and that's that's great. But if you don't have the strategy, the capability, the plan underneath it, mm. then you're wasting your time. Mm. And the strategy is, of course, the the the, the top line of the plan. Yeah, it? yeah. And it's about where where's my big choices about how I'm going to succeed and differentiate and compete in this marketplace. So on the concept of choices in business, we get to the concept of choices with the individual, and that is, uh, what do you want to be known for? What's the legacy you wish to leave behind as a leader? And I also know you're involved. In in, in leadership outside of work, in, in, in social and community situations as well. But if there was a legacy that you would be like to known for and leave behind, what would it be? Um, two, two things, I think. I, I want to answer it this way. I think probably the best way to judge a leader's effectiveness is a couple of years after they've left the job. Right. Because that means that they have done a great job leaving behind a, a really sustainable platform. So they've made good strategic choices, they've made good investments in the business and those things will, will, will recur and sustain the business over, over a period of time. So sustainability of the business model I think is, is a crucial thing. But the really, to me, the thing I'd, most, I'd be most proud of and get the most joy out of in work is people. And so I'd like to you know, look back on my career and the jobs that I've had and say, did I have an impact on, on some people? Did I did I help contribute, um, provide opportunity for people to really meet their potential to be as good as they can be, mm. and and because I think 
if you do that, you'll get the first one right. You've got great yeah. people, highly motivated, really good at what they do, enthusiastic about it, committed to it. They'll create great businesses. They'll they'll determine the great strategies. They'll know where to focus and to and to um, you know put the put the energy and the effort. So to me, the legacy I'd focus on would be people. What have I left behind in yeah. terms of the quality of people? Mm. And, uh, same pattern, but two different things. Have I left the business better than I found it in terms mm. of long-term sustainability? And have I left people better than yeah. I found them? Are they better leaders and better people for yeah. it? Andrew, some great stuff there. Is there any final lessons on leadership that you'd like to, <laughs> questions we haven't asked you that you'd like to leave for our listeners? The, the one thing I say when I talk to these leadership groups we have in the organisation, I, I, I try and impart some experience, what have you, and I think the, I think one of the most demanding elements of leadership is the expectations people have of you as a leader. Mm. And I have to say, I found that quite burdensome, burdensome early on. Took it personally. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time, you know, I, I think I think people will judge you by a standard as a leader. They won't judge themselves by. Mm. You know, if you get put yeah. into a leadership position, a big, a big senior job. There's a lot know, of shoots, isn't it? There's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of um, you know Monday morning quarterbacks or that, yeah. that, that yeah. people who, 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 who've got all sorts of ideas about how you should have done things and what you should have done. And there's a hell of a burden of expectation with leadership, and you just you you have to know that that's there. You have to be comfortable that that's there. And ultimately, you have to develop your own confidence and self-assurance that you can come up with plans, strategies, um, you know, outcomes that that you can be proud of and will deliver what what people um, need and what's expected of you. But um, yeah, that's uh, the, the the expectation. The burden of expectation on leadership, I think, is probably one of the most demanding things I've had to come so to. So how do you handle it? I mean, there must be all these eyes looking at you and so forth. How do you now handle it? Because there must have been a change there for you. Um, Look, I think the confidence that comes with success mm. and with achievement mm. and with finally, you know, the early fledgling steps you have and you, you take a chance, you put a strategy in place, you put someone in a job, you know, you make an investment somewhere and it pays off. You build on those little successes. Mm. And you, each one of those you learn from, each one of those helps you understand what builds to what builds to doing something right. And you, it's confidence, mm. you know, you just move to that. Mm. It, and as you get confidence, the business does too. There's a, I think Macquarie Bank talk about institutional self institutional yeah. confidence, and um, uh, one of the things that I guess makes this business so confident does it still have the higher purpose of um, of a, um, making the world making more, the world a more, more social, social place? place. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, it's a it's it's a really good one, and I'll give you a quick example of, of where it might work in an odd way. But it, that has really shaped a lot of our thinking about how we deal with a lot of the community concerns about alcohol misuse and abuse. Because alcohol misuse and abuse, misuse and abuse is not about sociability. And if alcohol is used properly, enjoyably and responsibly, it creates a really sociable place and hopefully helps you know, make our world a bit more enjoyable. Yeah. When it is misused and abused, it's not fun. It's yeah. not enjoyable. Yeah. It's frightening. It can be scary. It can be mm. dangerous. Mm. And that's not sociable. Mm. So we, we, we've used that mantra a lot and how we've reframed, framed our response to legislation, to investments in community programs, into how we design our products. Mm. I think that great note to end on. Uh, Andrew, you've certainly made my world a more social place. <laughs> I know you've made the world here a more social place, and I know with a lot of the stuff you do outside of work, you've made it uh, not just a more social place, but a, a great place to be. And so thank you very much for participating in the Human Enterprise uh, Transformational Leadership Series, and I wish you a, a great trip to Hong Kong. It's a great pleasure, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Well, there's certainly some great insights there from Andrew about strategy, about capability and people, and of course the absolute importance of managing your own energy levels as a leader. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transformational Leadership Interview Series. If you have any questions or comments, or perhaps you'd like to make a suggestion as to who we could interview, then get in contact with us via our website at www.thehumanenterprise.com.au. I wish you all the best in your own leadership journey. This is Paul Mitchell, Managing Director of The Human Enterprise.